2: Right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, across Europe and Asia on the Euro Radio TV Network, and, of course, on iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at com. on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV, and to find out the the great programming that we have available for you, 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, and where you can actually listen to the show Check out the past archives. It's very simple, www.xzbn.net. First of all, explanation to all our Canadian listeners around the world and those who want to be Canadians. um, Hey, happy Canada Day tomorrow. Canada celebrates its 150th birthday. And to all our American friends all around the world and those who want to be Americans, happy 4th of July. My guest this hour is Donna Stellhorn. She is an astrologer and feng shui expert with more than 20 years' experience. She wrote a monthly column on feng shui for the newspaper, The Light for eight years. And just to clarify, a newspaper is a blog they used to print on paper. Remember those guys? Well, we still do that with the X Chronicles newspaper. But they used to do this all the time way back when. Donna's first book, Feng Shui Book, was published in Europe in 1996. Since then, she has written 12 books, including Feng Shui Form and the best-selling booklet, Sage and Smudge, Clearing Your Personal Space. Her annual Chinese Astrology Series, which includes Chinese Astrology 2017, Year of the Rooster, is the third best-selling Chinese Astrology Series in, her, in the world. Her upcoming book, Plate Size Matters, combines Feng Shui with Weight Loss, where she describes how she used feng shui techniques to lose 35 pounds and keep it off. This book will be available later on in 2017. Joining me now from California, where she resides with her poodle, Giles, is Donna Stellhorn. And Donna, welcome to the Exxon.
3: Hi, Rob. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you.
2: Well, we are so happy to have you with us tonight, Donna. As I was telling you before we went to air, feng shui is one of my favorite subjects. And um, how did you get started with feng shui?
3: Oh, it was so many years ago. You know, I really kind of caught it at its infancy out here in Mm -hmm. uh, California Uh, because I actually grew up in a really sort of chaotic household. And I was always curious whether some of that was because we did a lot of construction on the house. You know, we we started with a house that was two bedroom, one bath. And my mother just kept adding on and. When I left at 20, it was five bedrooms, three baths, two decks. It, it, was, it was huge. She just basically ran out of land. Which, <laughs> <laughs> So I was so interested in the idea that our environment could affect our mood and our energy and our decision-making. And when I found feng shui, I was like, oh, my gosh, here it is.
2: Now, there are several different types of feng shui, one being black hat. And uh, which practice or which... Which um, which part of feng shui do you practice the most?
3: Well, you're, you're absolutely right. There's actually eight different schools of feng shui that are very distinctive ideas. And uh, there was really only originally two different schools. One is compass school, and this mm-hmm. was practiced in flatlands of China. And this is where they used the device to determine the quality and the quantity of qi energy that was coming in. But there's also form school, and that's what I practice. And form school took into account mountains and rivers, and so this was in a more mountainous region. And here in California, where things are hilly and mountainy and we have the big ocean, uh, form school works really well.
2: All right, uh, Donna, you and I have to take our first commercial break. And Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about Donna, her website, or to, or to even uh, schedule an appointment, go to meetme.so forward slash Donna Stellhorn. That's www.meetme.so forward slash Donna Stellhorn. And uh, Donna and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Remember... If you're going to be partying this weekend in Canada or the United States, if you drink, please do not drive. 401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. twenty-four seven, three sixty-five.
0: I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder president by donating at www.HolisticCancerFoundation.com.
4: Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good To Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers.
2: ExoNation, uh, Donna Stellhorn is our special guest, and uh, her website is fengshuiforum.com. That's F-E-N-G, fengshui, S-H-U-I, forum, F-O-R-M.com. And uh, Donna, <coughs> excuse me, what are the signs that a house needs a clearing?
3: Well, you know, that's, that's a really important question because... Oftentimes, you know, we, we feel like our home is our sanctuary. But when we come home after a long day, we mm-hmm. are releasing not just, you know, our, our things and, you know, taking off scarves and putting down bags, but we are releasing emotions from the day. And those emotions can build up. And so what we see in houses that need to be cleared are uh, excessive of clutter, there can be things that break, Uh, more arguments happen in the home, that there is some deterioration in just normal things that you would think should last longer. We also see infiltrations of insects, uh, bugs, uh, lots of dust comes into the house. Those are all signs that a clearing is needed.
2: So if somebody listening tonight is saying, geez, you know, that kind of sounds like my house or my Aunt Bertha's house. How can they start to turn things around?
3: Well, there's actually a lot of different ways to clear a house. And uh, one of the ways that I talk about a lot is smudging. And that is a Native American inspired technique where you take sage, you know, like like what we would use on, on a Thanksgiving turkey, the herb sage, and we light that and uh, carry that around the house. And they've actually done studies that show that the smoke from burning sage Acts like an antibiotic for your house. It actually removes germs and and issues from the air.
2: So, uh, where does where do you get sage, and how many different types of sage are there?
3: And there are couple of different types of sage. Uh, The best sage to use is a white sage. It grows here in California, but it is the one that you would use in your cooking. So uh, you can get sage easily in health food stores, but uh, also you can find it in the garden. You can uh, find actually uh, in health food stores, they'll have a smudge stick. And that is a bundle of sage that is tied together with string. And this makes it very easy to light it and carry it around. And when you light it, it doesn't stay on fire. It smokes. And so it's it's actually quite safe. But there are other methods, too, to clear a house if a person doesn't want to, you know, have sure. some smoke in the house.
2: What, what what would they do then if they didn't want to use sage?
3: Well, one of the things they can do is just uh, with some very simple ingredients like Taking some water, I, about a, I would say maybe a cup, cup and a half of water. Put in a little of just white vinegar mm-hmm. and mix in some sea salt, about maybe a half a teaspoon. Spritz that around the house. And you can uh, use that. You can even use that for just general cleaning. But as you spritz it through the house, just picture that negative energy is leaving the house. You can even ask for negative energy to leave the house.
2: What is the significance of this of the sea salt?
3: A sea salt's interesting because salt takes away all energy. It, it takes energy down to a neutral state. So it, it actually will remove both negative and positive energy. In feng shui, we use salt a lot when we want to uh, take something down to its base. So then we can then add in positive energy when we want
2: but isn't, isn't there a danger in taking away the positive energy that's within a home if a person uses this technique?
3: Well, this is why my first recommendation is always to smudge because with smudging, you're actually removing the negativity and adding the positive. Uh, but the salt I have used in situations where the negative energy is very, very uh, entrenched, mm. this will allow to bring it back to a neutral state, and then we can add in the positive energy. And we can do this by ringing bells, saying prayers, uh, giving a blessing to the house. You can also do things like um, uh, anointing uh, different objects in the house, you know, doorknobs and uh, windowsills with holy water.
2: Doorknobs with holy water. What would that do? And how does it do it?
3: Holy water is water that has been blessed by a priest or a shaman, and so anything that has a blessing like that can be used to uh, bring in the positive energy. And by the way, if your listeners really like the idea of using a water versus a smoke, Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I've done that is very effective is to take the sage leaves that are used, again, in the smudge stick and make a tea out of those. So make a little tea bag of the, the sage leaves and brew that tea for about 15 minutes. Let it cool and then put that in your spray bottle. And spritz that around the house. And that will also clear the energy. It's so amazingly effective that if you spray yourself, you will actually feel like you're tingling all over. It's wonderful.
2: So where does this negative energy come from? And is there any way that we can stop it before it enters into the home?
3: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Now, negative energy can come from several sources. Negative energy could come from disturbances of the property itself, that is, in some areas, if there was, say, in its history, war in that area or some sort of conflict, then when they built the house itself, it's still on that that spot. Negative energy also could come from something that occurred in the past in the house, Uh, There could have been a grave illness or an accident, perhaps Mm -hmm. a divorce in the house. And then you bought the house and moved in unaware that that energy was there. You also could get negative energy because uh, you have had some tragedy in your own life. And, you know, you pick up the information there while you're in the house. It's very upsetting Uh, There may have been tears or arguments about this. And so the struggles that you've gone through, that energy, residual energy, can still be in the house. And then we just bring things home. You know, we're stuck in traffic. You know, we're not sure that we're happy with our job. And so we come home and we try to release the energy so we can feel better. And what we're doing is we release it into the house and it can get stuck.
5: Hmm.
2: But what about people who go garage uh, shopping on Saturday mornings or they go to the antique market, they go to auctions? How can they prevent or how can they stop the possibility of whatever they're buying bringing into their house with negative energy? Can they smudge it? Can they spurt it? Can Can they keep it outside? And should they do it before they bring the article in the house?
3: Yeah, it's absolutely correct. And this is something that we in feng shui, we know very much Mm -hmm. that people who collect a lot of antiques don't recognize that they are bringing in not just that piece of furniture, or not just that antique ring, but they're bringing in the history that that object has. And, you know, I hear sometimes people say, well, I'm not sensitive to that. And yet our sensitivity to those objects, we see it all the time. When you walk into a place, when you decide to sit in a certain chair versus another chair, you are feeling the different energies that these objects have. So when it comes to bringing in a piece of furniture, it's usually impractical to try to clear it before it enters the house. But that's okay. Once it's in the house, as soon as it's really possible, do the clearing. And that is if you're going to smudge the piece, and you can smudge any uh, piece that's made of wood or stone very easily. You take your smudge stick, you light it, and you're going to uh, let the smoke touch the object. And so, so of course, smoke rises up, and mm-hmm. so you can fan smoke towards an object, and that once the smoke is touching the object, it is clearing it for things that have perhaps uh, that are more delicate such as fabrics, smoke's not as practical. And then I do like to use salt and we're not going to actually have the fabric touch the salt, but what we're going to do is you would place maybe you found a scarf mm-hmm. and, in an antique store. and so you take the scarf and you you place it on a table and then you're going to make a large circle around the scarf of salt. And this would take, oh, you know, probably a quarter cup of salt. You're just going to sprinkle a circle around it. And you're going to let it sit there for about a day. The salt's going to absorb any negative energy that the scarf has. And yes, it will absorb the positive energy that it had to. Now the scarf is neutral. And then you can add the positive energy by just wearing the scarf and loving the scarf. Also, another point that's quite important, when you are using salt for this purpose, gather the salt together into the trash can, but take the trash out of your house, place it in a trash can off your property. You can do that at a park, uh, fast food restaurants often have trash cans outside, grocery stores have trash cans outside. Just take it with you on your way to work and drop it somewhere else. Don't just dump it into your kitchen trash because at that point it could release the negative energy back into the house.
2: Now, feng shui (laughs) is a very ancient um, Eastern methodology. How did the smudging (laughs) from the North American uh, natives get incorporated into a Chinese or Asian uh, ritual?
3: Well, it really didn't. it's, It's that when... Uh, feng shui came to america we americans tend to like to combine things and put our new spin on it and that's why we also have you know pizza and and all these other things so so what we were looking for in feng shui was an easy way to clear an object because in asia what they do is they just don't bring antiques into the house unless they absolutely know that there was a positive history attached to the object. And that's not what we Americans want to do. And I think it's really great that we have taken something that is as wonderful and powerful as feng shui, but found ways that we can use it with our American lifestyle.
2: How do we know if the feng shui is really working and it's just not a placebo effect?
3: We know this because marketing people are using feng shui on us all the time. We know that we are affected by our environments so much that This is why they put the chewing gum next to the register. Uh, They have done studies to say, you know, that if they can keep you in a store for a long time, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to buy something. If your shopping cart is large, you're more likely to buy something. If the breakfast cereal that they want you to buy is at eye level, or better still, at your child's eye level, you're more likely to buy. So you're that affected that it's, it's taking your decisions and causing them to change. And that is basic feng shui, well, kind of what I call kind of a reverse feng shui. And this goes for, you know, how you order in a restaurant. They will place the thing they want you to order in a box. And that in your mind, you think, well, if it's in a box, it's important. It's got a frame around it. And you're more likely to order that. Well, that's the item where they make the most profit. That's why it's in the box. But, so- but, but
2: still, my, you haven't an answered my question. How do we know if feng shui works? And it's not a placebo effect. You, you made a reference to the, to the marketing. And let's get back to this question when we come back from this break with the news. ExoNation mm-hmm. will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news. Don't go away.
6: Hi, I'm Gwilda Wuyaka, and I want to tell you about a great provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Find Your Path Home Shamanic Art Center is your resource for reliable leading-edge information, education and healing, offering our brand new online galactic shamanism classes, long-distance shamanic healing performed by Path Home Shamanic Art School certified shamanic practitioners, and the Science of Magic's topic-driven radio episode collections, where I interview today's leading experts on science and magic. All of this designed to inform, support, and empower you through these changing times. Visit us and all we have to offer at findyourpathhome.com. That's findyourpathhome.com.
2: Exonation. Our guest this hour is Donna Stellhorn. Her website is fengshuiforum.com. And uh, Donna, what I was saying is that how do we know feng shui really works, and it's just not a case of mind over matter or the placebo effect? That and then you referenced the marketing of cereal, the marketing of products in a in a um, in a restaurant, the size of a, of a shopping cart. Oh. But how does that relate to the validity that feng shui really works?
3: Well, the the essence of feng shui is that we're uh, placing things in our home to shift our decision making. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. that the lucky money cat is magical. It is when we see the lucky money cat and we recognize Mm -hmm. that is there in our home, we're making different decisions. So, And that, that is something that people don't necessarily think about feng shui but what we're actually doing is we're affecting the reticular activating system in our brain which says that oh now i am focused on getting more money into my life that's why this cat is here and that's why it works
2: so basically now, what you're saying it is mind over matter or a placebo effect well I, I don't know. I All right, let me, ask, let, me ask, let me ask you this question. Are there That's any true. scientific studies mm-hmm. that, that would tend to show the fact, and I'm not talking about marketing here, I'm talking about sheer scientific
3: uh-huh.
2: surveys or uh, studies that have been done that say beyond a shadow of a doubt that feng shui really does work?
3: No, no one is studying feng shui. They're only studying things uh, related to marketing because marketing makes money. And so that's what they're interested in. But these are directly applicable to feng shui because we're talking about how your environment shapes your decision making. Okay. So, let let,
2: all right. (laughs) I I, I get that. I get that. So somebody comes to you and they want to have their home feng shui.
6: Uh-huh.
2: Basically, do you tell them that what we're going to be doing is we're not going to be doing anything that can be proven? It's going to be a mind over matter that you are going to see things and thereby putting it into your direct perspective and then your subconscious will look at it and you believe that you're making these changes.
3: Well, I I guess I'm not asked that directly, but what I will say Mm -hmm. is that... I see more scientific evidence that directly relates to feng shui than in the last few years than I have seen in all my time of doing feng shui. And so, for example, you know, a a client says to me, you know, my relationship feels like it's dead. It feels Mm -hmm. like it's going nowhere. And I go into her bedroom and she has that New Mexico giant cow skull over her bed. And so every time she walks into her bedroom, she thinks dead cow over my bed. This has an effect on how she sees everything related to what's going on in the bedroom. And that is affecting her.
2: But what happens if she likes this skull?
3: (laughs) So... It's she's liking the skull because she does want something to change, something to pass away from the relationship from. So we are attracted to externally to what's going on with us internally. Everything that we're attracted mm-hmm. to has something to do with what's going on inside of us. Cause, Otherwise, we're not interested.
2: Cause and effect. Yes. Yes. Okay, but let's take the example of the poor lady who's got the cattle skull over her bed, and the, the the motif in her bedroom is Mexican. How does that relate to the fact, I mean, besides that she's got very bad taste as an interior designer, how does that relate to the fact that we know, based on feng shui, that this is the cause of her poor relationship status, and it's not the fact that her her designs just suck? Or she, well, or she may be a lousy person.
3: Are you asking me if we know it's causation versus correlation? Right. We don't know that. But if it's just correlation, mm-hmm. it's still valid. It's still something that then we can change and make her life better. And this gives her a chance to improve this relationship. Or when I say, you know, keeping this cow skull here mm-hmm. is negatively affecting the relationship. And she says, Okay, I'm gonna still keep it because I really love it. Well then perhaps it is time for that relationship to be over.
2: But where does the where does the the aspect of the feng shui consultant change from feng shui design to psychologist?
3: <laughs> um I guess that, that we find that these two things are more linked than we expected. Yes, there are many feng shui practitioners who just look at it from an interior design place where mm-hmm. they go in and they just make a space very beautiful But mm-hmm. in in my world i see it as one of the most useful methods first of seeing what's going on inside the person because their environment will tell me a story about them and second to help them achieve the goals they're looking for by uh creating an environment that supports those goals and we see this now from a lot of mainstream authors, you know, uh, uh, Tim Ferriss for our work week, Gary Keller, millionaire real estate investor, they both said in their books, your environment has a, a huge impact on what you do in your daily life, what your habits are. And that is basic feng shui.
2: But that is no secret. People in office design and people who, who run very successful offices, they know that the workplace and how the effectiveness of the workplace, as well as the uh, the positive attitude that the workplace expounds, will be a dir- you know will be a direct factor in their bottom line because a happy member of a purse of a staff is a more productive member of staff.
3: You're absolutely right. Environmental psychology does work. Mm-hmm. And what we find is the principles of environmental psychology near that of feng shui. And that was the basically the, the big bonus that that this uh, practice that is thousands of years old actually has the building blocks of things that we are scientifically studying today.
2: Okay, let me ask you this. So feng shui, which was, I believe developed by the Chinese going back several thousand years ago, is so successful. How come China is such a backward country?
3: (laughs) Because uh, actually during the Cultural Revolution around the 1960s, uh, all feng shui uh, information was uh, driven underground. Feng shui practitioners were killed. It was outlawed. And only much, much later in the uh, late 80s did we start to see any information come out about feng shui and feng shui started to rise up again and then we've seen from the late 80s the rise of china itself to become a major world player so uh so we went from a civilization that's been around for a very very long time Mm -hmm. yes it did get off the rails there for a while and interesting that correlated with the same time where feng shui was against the law.
2: All right, so what would stop a a country that is poor, that it has no economic future, that has uh, you know, nothing to look forward to, and let's use Bangladesh as an example. What would happen to Bangladesh if Bangladesh was to impose the use of feng shui?
3: I have no idea, but I think it's
2: worth trying out. Somebody has a problem, they go to a professional. Feng shui consultants are known for their knack of organizing and displays. But I'm still having a hard time, you know, putting my mind around the fact that feng shui consultants use the use the title of feng shui to be psychologist you know a psychologist goes to school gets licensed is responsible
1: they're not
3: really doing that I, i'm not sure maybe your question but uh
2: all right i'll 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 put it very simple you were saying that Let's use. Let's go back to the lady who has the skull over the bed and has her Mexican motif in her bedroom. She's having problems with affairs, with with her relationships. You, as a feng shui consultant, were saying, "Well, it could be the motif. It could be the skull. The skull is uh, is a symbol of your inability to have uh, relationships." Doesn't that go outside the realm of feng shui and into the realm of psychology?
1: I
3: don't know. I don't know. I think that uh, what I said to her was a skull is a sign of death. Mm-hmm. So, and she's the one who'd said my relationship feels dead. So that's where the connection's made. But you know, if if a person says, you know, I I need psychiatric help, I'm going to take them and say, here, go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist.
2: But the fact that you brought up the point where the skull was a representation uh, of of death, could that have not been the reason why she said, well, my relationship is dead?
3: Well, she didn't know that her decor was representing death. So I, I came in and pointed it out to her that she had a symbol of death in her bedroom.
2: If she had a crucifix in her bedroom, what would that be a symbol of?
3: The, the crucifix in some, in some people's mind is a religious symbol, and in other people's minds it's not. So it depends on what religion you are.
2: Well, why would a person who is not a Christian have a crucifix in their bedroom?
3: <laughs> I don't know, but I have seen it.
2: Okay. So, how about mirrors, the color red, the placement of coins in in, uh, in different places in the house? How does this uh, how does this work?
3: Well, that's a great question. So, uh, for example, coins is a universal symbol of prosperity. Nearly all cultures have coins as money, with the exception of a few places that use shells and maybe still do. So when we see coins of any country, we think of prosperity. And this reminds us that we are looking for money in our own life it reminds us that maybe it's time to turn off the television and get back to work or to at least do a meditation to say, oh, yes, I'm looking for money opportunities. That's why we use coins.
2: What about the color red and mirrors?
3: Red is traditionally a very happy color in China itself. Mm. Uh, They use it for a lot of uh positive celebrations weddings all of these things but we also know from studies that color does affect people now uh, their scientists are still not sure whether color itself is a wave or a particle but that they do know that uh, seeing certain colors does affect a person's physiology and as well as their emotions and, again, their decision-making. All right, stand by. um, We've
2: got to take our final break. Nation, Maureen, um, I'm sorry, Donna Stellhorn is our special guest, and she's a feng shui expert. Her website is www.fengshuiforum.com, and we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. (music) Welcome back, everyone. Donna Stellhorn is our guest this hour. We're talking about feng shui, and Donna, uh, can you refresh my uh, refresh my memory? What the color red signifies?
3: Well, the color red is a very lucky and fortunate color in feng shui, mm-hmm. but in uh, just in a universal sense, red causes us to take action, which does, by the way, bring up a funny note. Uh, Back in uh, the early turn of the last century, so the early 1900s, they were trying to decide what color to make a stop sign, and they were going to choose green for a stop sign, which actually would have been more appropriate because the color green does Cause us to pause and enjoy, but they chose the color red, which is exactly the opposite color they should have chosen, And this was based on some argument the two men had in, in a room and it's so, but red causes us to take action. It causes us to take notice. And when we take action, then we receive benefit. In addition, they have found that uh, there's actually a physiological change. If you sit in a room that's uh, painted blue, you can lower your blood pressure up to 20%. Mm -hmm. They have found that when they add orange to classrooms, that children become more creative and do better on standardized tests. They have done studies that show that when weightlifters lift weights, looking at the color pink, they cannot lift as much when looking at other colors. So these... This is a, an actual fact that adding different colors actually changes how we are in the room.:
2: Then why is it when anyone um, talks about red with anger that in Western society, the color red is, you know, is, is associated with anger, with a, with a negative emotion.
3: Too much of any color will produce a negative emotion, which is red would be anger. Mm -hmm. Too much blue becomes sadness. Too much yellow becomes fear. Too much orange becomes overcautiousness. And so we always want to find the balance, a little bit of one color. But an entire room painted red, Mm -hmm. yes, we're not going to just take action. We're going to take angry action.
2: Sure. Um, Is it possible that the different psychological uh, effect of colors is different from those people living in the East and those people living in the West?
3: We do associate different things with different colors. For example, uh, here in the United States, we dress our brides in white, Mm -hmm. uh, but in Asia, white is reserved for funerals. But there's still the energy of white being pure being very clear if that is a universal idea but we have gone from different cultures and associated it with different perhaps ceremonies or different uh times of year
2: is is feng shui just a passing phase or is it here to stay
3: well, I think because it's been around for so long, it's it's definitely here to stay. But what I'm am excited about as I said before is that I'm seeing many studies that are not naming feng shui but are using principles of how your environment, your personal environment is set up and showing that those really do affect you. Mm-hmm. Well, I am a big fan of the placebo effect. I think that the fact that our brain is powerful enough to pretend to take a medication and actually become healed, I think that that's amazing. I think that these studies do help us understand how we can set ourselves on a trajectory to help ourselves by just shifting some things in our environment. For example, if you want to eat more fruits and vegetables, Take the fruits and vegetables out of those crispers, out of those things in your refrigerator and put those in a bowl in the top shelf of your refrigerator. And you will find that you and your family reach for those much more often than you did before.
2: Well, isn't that a matter of choice, whether it's going to be on the top or whether it's going to be on the bottom? If you know something's good for you, wherever it is in the fridge. Well, that's been my experience. That's where you'll go.
3: Actually, what studies show is that that's not true, that we tend to do most decisions on automatic pilot. That just food decisions alone, mm-hmm. studies show that we make over 200 decisions every day just related to food. So we hit decision fatigue pretty early on. And so when a person is in that fatigue mode or tired for any reason, they're going to reach for what they can see, what's the easiest to get.
2: I would imagine this is for a person who has very little self-control, but people who have self-control, I don't think, fall into the same category and follow the same study uh, guidelines and findings.
3: There, there is some truth that when it's a priority in a person's life, uh, that they will exhibit more self-control in an area. But some people have lots of different priorities they have jobs and children and Mm -hmm. maybe they're taking care of a loved one and so what happens is that they can't have the priority of maybe eating healthy or maybe getting right to work and not putting on the tv or maybe getting to sleep on time maybe that doesn't hit the priority level so what you're suggesting that consciousness and that mindfulness i think is our goal but if we can't hit it what, isn't it great that we can shift our environment to make it easier for us to do hit the goal
2: sounds like just another example of how a lazy society is <laughs>
3: I don't know that I would call it lazy. Well, how else can, you know, I think that there is a point where we get decision fatigue. Uh, Willpower, uh, they have shown, is something that not that just people have, but it's like a muscle. It can become tired. Now, being like a muscle, it also means that, yes, we.
2: Hello. Are you still there? Hello, Donna. Well, let's try and get Donna back. I don't know what happened, Craig. According to our system here, she is still online. Maybe she just moved uh, in a funny way and she disconnected herself. But over here at Master Control, Craig, you're saying that uh, she is still showing that she's online. All right, let's go and uh, do a little bit of reading about Donna again. Donna Shellhorn, who is our guest, who we... For some reason, can't uh, contact any longer. Is an astrologer and feng shui expert with more than 20 years' experience. She wrote a monthly column on feng shui for the newspaper, The Light, for eight years. Uh, Donna's first feng shui book was published in Europe in 1996. She then began. Uh, she she has then since written 12 books, including Feng Shui Forum, and the best-selling booklet Sage and Smudge: Clearing Your Personal Space. Her annual Chinese Astrology series, which includes Chinese Astrology 2017, Year of the Rooster, is the third best-selling Chinese Astrology series in the world. Her upcoming book, Plate Size Matters, combines feng shui with weight loss, where she describes how she used feng shui techniques to lose 35 pounds and keep it off. The book will be available later on this year. Little known fact about Donna, she has done sta- a stand-up comedy on stage in California and Arizona and actually got a few laughs. Donna currently lives in Orange County, California with her standard poodle, Giles. Now, if you'd like to contact uh, Donna, visit her website at www.fengshuiforum.com. Here's a uh, here's a little bit of a concern I have, ExoNation. Jan Harzan, the executive director of MUFON, that's the Mutual UFO Network, supports racism and racist remarks in MUFON. In May 2017, the MUFON state director for both Pennsylvania and Delaware and Inner Circle member John Ventry posted what can only be called a racist rant to opinions, uh, racist rants to his private Facebook page. Several people reacted to it, suggesting that such opinions were appalling. MUFON's executive director and Inner Circle member, John, uh, Jan Harzan, reacted with what was called a non-apology, attacking those who had reacted negatively, calling them haters, and then suggested that these haters might be worse than John Ventry. The offensive posts, as well as the critical comments, were then removed from Ventry's Facebook page. Harzan eventually announced that Ventry had been fired as the state director for both states. The reaction came only after there had been more bad public relations for MUFON. Now, not long after this, it was discovered that another of the inner circle members, Jay-Z Knight, had, in a drunken rant, made other racially charged comments about the Jews, Mexicans, gays, Catholics, and organic farmers. Harzan, on learning this, ignored the severity of the comments, saying that if she had been a state director, he would have fired her. All three remain on the inner circle, and while it is suggested that the inner circle has no real influence over the workings of MUFON, other documentation, including the MUFON website, suggests otherwise. By the way, to become a member of the MUFON inner circle, it takes a donation of $5,000 a year, according to our sources. Now, given the slow reaction to Ventry's racist rant and the lack of real concern about such attitudes at the highest level of the MUFON organization, as evidenced by Harzen's public comments about both Ventry and Knight, it's time to remove these high-ranking MUFON officials from positions of power and oversight. The problem is systemic, at the top, and such attitudes can filter down through the organization. Rather than standing by and watch what happens, It's time to make a change. If you agree with this, visit www.xzbnradiotv.com and sign our online petition. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And we'll be back on the other side of this break with the news at 6.5 minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.